0: OK, and welcome back. And we are moving on to module number nine. And before we move on to what we might call the interventions modules, I just want to talk about a pattern interrupt. Now, everything we do in NLP is an interruption of sorts. And a pattern interrupt is an intervention to move someone from an intense negative state to a more neutral SNP. State A pattern interrupt involves breaking an individual's routine, thoughts or behavioural patterns to sort of shake it up a little bit. They're abrupt and force a quick state of change. Sometimes an existing pattern of behaviour can be so deeply ingrained that unless there's deep rapport there may be resistance to change. What a pattern interrupt does, it takes away that resistance to change. For example, a pattern that I run every morning. I do the same thing. An alarm wakes me up. I sit up and drink half a litre of water. Pull on some pants and shorts, left leg first always, and a t-shirt or vest. Shuffle to the loo for a wee. Wash my hands, brush my teeth, pick up the water drinking the rest on the way down the stairs, and head towards the coffee machine. Make a coffee, then go and sit with Mum while I check through Facebook, write some status updates, respond to other people while drinking my coffee. See, the unconscious mind likes repetition and habit, so we are conditioned to repeat the same tasks in the same way every time, and I'm wondering if you know which leg you put in your pants first every morning. Now the great way thing about this is that this routine is economical, you don't have to think, you're in autopilot, your unconscious mind takes care of everything for you. So as I'm merrily telling myself what a great day I'm having, then slam the toilet door shuts and I come out of my room as dad's on the loo for a few sec- for a few seconds, I have absolutely no clue as to what's happening or what to do next. My unconscious mind doesn't know how to respond. It's waiting for instructions from your conscious mind or from someone else. So, your morning routine, if if it's interrupted by other things, then that's a sort of pattern interrupt too. Here's a classic example of pattern interrupt as described by Milton Erickson in his book, Advanced Techniques on Hypnosis and Therapy. One of the physicians present at a lecture on hypnosis was most interested in learning hypnosis, listened attentively during the lecture, but in the social hour preceding the lecture, he'd repeatedly manifested hostile aggressive behaviour towards most of his colleagues. When introduced to the author, he shook hands with a bone-crushing grip and almost jerked the author off his balance. The man was at least six inches taller than the author and about 66 pounds heavier. He aggressively declared, without any preamble, that he would like to see any damn fool try to hypnotise me. Now, when volunteers for a demonstration were requested, he came striding up and in a booming voice announced, well, I'm going to show everybody that you can't hypnotise me. As the man stepped up on the platform, the author slowly rose from his chair as if to greet him with a handshake. As the volunteer stretched forth his hand prepared to give the author another bone-crushing handshake, Milton Erickson bent over, tied his own shoelaces slowly, elaborately, and then left the man standing helplessly with his arm outstretched. Bewildered, confused and completely taken aback at the author's non-pertinent behaviour. And at a total loss for something to do, the man was completely vulnerable to the first comprehensible communication fitting to the situation that was offered to him. So as the second shoelace was being tied, Erickson said, Just take a deep breath, sit down in that chair close your eyes and go deeply into a trance. And after a brief, causal, startled reaction, the guy said, Well I'll be damned! But how? Now do it again so I can know how you're doing it. He was offered a choice of several traditional techniques. He chose the hand levitation method as seeming the more interesting. And this technique was employed slowly, both for his benefit and of that for the audience. It's amazing what happens when your pattern is interrupted. Now, if you're wondering what on earth the hand levitation method is, they are that's something that you learn on the Timeline Therapy and Hypnosis course that we run. So pattern interrupts are useful for shaking up a person's typical thoughts and actions and it opens the possibility for something new to take place. The great thing about NLP is if you interrupt the pattern early enough, you give your clients a choice. So if a client's telling you about their problem and you can interrupt the pattern just before the client gets into the problem, then the biggest changes will occur. Doing this is an important part of the change process and it's good to know that it's easier to influence and redirect an unstable pattern than a rigid one. When a pattern is interrupted completely, the person isn't left with their next step in their thought process or behaviour and naturally opens up to whatever the next step is offered to them by the situation. So many of the NLP techniques are processes which interrupt the pattern that someone is currently doing and when we talk about pattern we're talking about a pattern of behavior you know the unconscious mind isn't effective at making decisions that's a conscious mind skill to force the unconscious mind into a decision-making mode you have to spend send it into a bit of a tailspin break the habitual flow and force it into what what now mode the key as a coach is to stop yourself from entering someone else's pattern so you have to interrupt the pattern early enough and sometimes you must do the very thing that you don't want to do to make sure that you break the pattern sometimes this might be something outrageous and saying things that people don't expect you to say and anybody that's had any training or coaching with me knows this Sometimes it's an action that you do to break the pattern. So here's another great example of a pattern interrupt. A young woman suffered from severe obsessive compulsive behaviors. The NLP practitioner who was working with her noticed something peculiar. Many of these behaviors started with a type of age regression accompanied by childlike body posture. And in this posture, her toes would turn in towards one another in a pigeon-toed stance. The next time he noticed the woman begin to turn her feet without saying a thing, he quickly leaned over and straightened the feet out with his hands. This startled her and she couldn't complete her habitual, obsessive response. As the session continued, each time the woman began to turn her feet inward, the practitioner would simply, immediately straighten them. And for the first time in years, the woman experiences freedom from her obsessions, leading to an important breakthrough in her therapy. So how do you actually work with someone to make a change inside of them, and assist them in making the kind of changes that they want to make? Pattern interrupt is one of them, and working with modalities and submodalities modalities is another. Now, some modalities to my way of thinking just fall into a series of in- interventions which we might call quick fixes. They're not as detailed as timeline therapy and we don't actually have to get into taking a detailed personal history and really finding out all of the basic stuff about the person. And we can do an intervention rather quickly and rather easily. Now, let me explain some modalities. Some modalities are how we encode and give meaning to the modalities. Now the modalities are visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, and gustatory, and auditory digital. The submodalities of those are the subsets of those. So if you make a picture in your, you know, your mind, for example, and the picture will probably have a certain brightness, a certain colour, a certain distance from you. It will have a certain location and that brightness, colour, distance and location are examples of submodalities. Now, submodalities are extremely powerful in the short term in terms of making changes and assisting us to change what happens inside of our brain. You want to find out how this works. So let's play for a moment. Let's do it. Let's just have some fun, me and you, yeah? If it's convenient for you just stop for a moment now if you're driving a car keep on driving that's okay but if you're sitting at home or listening to this in a place where you can just stop why don't you just stop for a moment and remember a time when you were totally motivated why don't you go back to that time right now just go back to that time when you were totally motivated and remember that time let's go all the way back to the time when you were totally motivated Why don't you step into your body and notice that you can actually feel the feelings of being totally motivated. Just go right back to that time now and notice the time when you were totally motivated. Remember the time when you are totally motivated. Float right down into your body, see what you saw, hear what you heard and feel the feelings of being totally motivated. Got it? Good! Now what I'd like you to do is notice the feeling of being totally motivated and notice the feelings that you've got when you're ready. And I'd like you to do, and just do this for fun because we'll bring the picture back in a moment. What I'd like you to do is take, take the picture out from you. Zoom it right out. Zoom that picture right out and push it all the way away from you. And as you do that, make it smaller and darker. And just take that picture, zoom it right out. Make it smaller and darker. In fact, push it all the way across the room and shrink it down so that it becomes the size of a postage stamp and it's small and dark in the other corner of the room. Now notice when you had more feelings. Notice if you have more feelings now, when the picture is all the way across the room, or notice if you have more feelings when we're back in the original picture. When you're in the picture looking through your own eyes and remember that time when you were totally motivated. If you're like most people, You probably would have more feelings when you're inside the picture looking through your own eyes. Now we've used a few of the submodalities and we'll see what they are in just a moment. But notice that the difference in the picture of motivation when it's across the room and the size of a postage stamp versus when you're in it. Notice that it has a much different meaning to you. When it's over there. Notice that the feeling of motivation is present when you're inside it. And notice that the feeling isn't present when you're not inside it. And it's across the room and small and dark. Now, since I've said we'd bring it back, just have it come at you at 100 miles an hour. And stop right in front of you and step right into that picture. And there you are, looking through your own eyes again. And notice if you've got your motivation back. Or do you? Well if you like most people you probably do. See noticing the difference between the submodalities is what makes a difference as to the meaning of that picture. Notice that the motivation picture, the picture motivation was not motivation, motivating or didn't mean motivation to us when it was across the room. So what a great idea. So that means actually that we can If we get over motivated, you know, like we're at work and we're like, go, 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 wow, I'm fired up. And then we take it and we're we're, we're way so fired up, but we need to then calm ourselves down. What we can simply do is push the picture of motivation away from us. We can take a deep long breath and we can just relax. Well, of course I'm kidding. I mean, obviously if you got fired up, that'd be great. Notice that you can be in charge of your motivation. In addition, some modalities allow us to be in charge of most of our internal representations. Like, what, what are we doing with them? So let's find out. We'll find out everything we need to know about some and how do we make them work. So let's take a look first at page 35. And if you're not there already, go to 35. So there's a number of different techniques that we're going to be going through. And I think a number of things that I need to explain to you so that you can make submodalities work the best way possible for you. First of all, there's contrastive analysis, and contrastive analysis involves finding the drivers or the critical submodalities by comparing two internal representations or two pictures for the submodality difference. For example, you might compare ice cream and yogurt. They're both sort of similar kinds of things, but Say you loved ice cream and hated yoghurt, then if you compare the difference, you could notice the difference between those two sets of internal representations. Now mapping across might be the next step. So for example, that involves discovering the drivers. And you you might have done that with contrastive analysis already. And then changing the summodities from one of those internal representations into the other. So. Say for instance you loved ice cream and hated yogurt and you wanted to like ice cream less, what you would do is you'd listen to the sumodartis of ice cream and then yogurt and then you'd change the summodis of the ice cream and the and then the yogurt. And then you'd change the summoditis of the ice cream to the picture of ice cream the picture of ice cream that you have to those of yogurt. And theoretically you would like yoghurt less. So mapping across involves the changing of one set of drivers into another set of drivers, which essentially changes the internal representation and the meaning of the internal representation that you're working with. The next technique is a swish pattern, and that involves replacing actually one internal representation or picture with another. This direction one series, one series of internal representations that is a desired state, a state that you want, it's more common than the present state would be. And we'll talk about how you'd work with swish patterns later. There's also some dissociative techniques which involve shifting your viewpoint and doing a specific internal representation from one person to another or another location. And this is frequently used to take the charge off a negative emotion as in the phobia model. And also this is what happens during timeline therapy and a number of other different processes. And number five is perceptual positions. And that involves actually shifting viewpoint and viewing a specific internal representation from one of three different positions. First position will be looking through your own eyes, second position looking through another loved person's eyes and the third position is involving the entire scene from a dissociated position, say above the entire event. And this is also useful as a dissociative technique. It's useful to incorporate the learnings in this state. So those are the five major sets of submodality techniques that we're going to be learning in this segment. And we'll go through each one. And what I want to talk to you about is what you need to know in order to make this work. What I want to talk to you about it is that there are some things that actually make submodalities work. And if you look at page 36, I think one of the major issues is triggers. One of the major issues is finding the trigger that kicks off that set of submodality distinctions. What is it that causes this to make a difference inside of you? One of the things, of course, is the thing that kicks it off. For example, if we're going to be working on a like to dislike and shifting these submodalities from like to dislike, you would ask the client, when you do think of that, do you have a picture? A lot of times when people are asking for different submodality distinctions, they might ask the client to make up the picture. If you're actually asking someone at that point, can you make up a picture of how you feel about ice cream or can you create a picture of how you feel about ice cream you're not going to get the way they feel about ice cream as a submodality distinction because the word create or the word make up is not as accurate as when you think of do you have a picture so in submodalities we also need to begin to look at our language And as we're moving into the section of submodalities, we need to pay attention to how we ask people to do things. And a lot of times, if we're asking people to do things in a way which is counterproductive to what we want, we'll probably produce results which are inconsistent with what we'd like to produce. So it's a time for you, as you begin to ask a client certain questions, to get real precise with your language. Now, in a swish pattern, We're going to ask the client, for example, we're going to use a swish pattern to change uh, something like a minor state or a minor behaviour. So you're saying that something bothers you, say the boss looks at you funny, so you feel bad. You might say to the client, how do you know when it's time to feel that? And in each one of these cases, what that's going to do is pick up the trigger or the thing that kicks off that internal representation, acting the way that it does inside of you. So we'll come back and look at page 28 in different contexts later because we still need to pick up the notion of anchoring and also strategies that we want that we cover once we move into sommardas and I, I think that we, the first thing that we do need to do is look at the sommardas checklist so let's jump over to page 37 and take a look at what's there so take a look at page 37 and if you've got to look at page 37 what we've got is a not not an exhaustive list but certainly a pretty good start of a of a, a list of the major submodalities and probably the major ones that you'll be working with as we go through this training so let's see what they are if you think a certain picture if you think of a certain picture that you've got a certain visual picture that you've got i think you might ask yourself is it black and white or color is it bright or dim how bright is it how dim is it how far away is it from you? Is it near or far? <coughs> is it 100 millimetres, 100 centimetres, 100 yards a mile away? Oh, I love a crossover a metric system. With an imperial system. Or it could be very close, like inches. What's the location? Now, location means around your centre line, is it up or down, left or right at the centre of the picture. Now how big is the picture and interestingly enough a picture could be very close and very large but it can also be farther away and larger or smaller. So as you zoom the picture out you could even make it bigger and so the size of the picture would have something to do with the meaning of the internal representation associated and dissociated and i think we ought to explain what that means right here the word associated means in the context of submodalities the word associated means that you're looking through your own eyes so if you want to write that down on your submodality checklist looking through your own eyes sometimes it's easier to say that to a client so as you remember the picture of motivation the time that we talked about motivation a few moments ago And if you were looking through your own eyes when that picture first came up on the screen, that was, you were associated. I did also ask you to step into your body and see what you saw here, what you heard and feel the feelings of being totally motivated. And when I asked you to do that, what you should have done is you should have stepped inside your body and should have associated you essentially. Now dissociated means that you see your body in the picture. And I think it probably has something that you want to memorize because we'll be talking about associated and dissociated as we go on through this training. So you may want to say to a client that dissociated means looking at yourself in the picture. So when you're talking to a client, you need to explain to the client what all of that means. So i also suggest that you'd want to be very precise with them at this point you want to be very precise again with your language in addition to being precise when you pick up the triggers you also want to clearly question the client as to whether they're associated or dissociated in a certain picture and it's easy enough to say are you looking through your own eyes in the picture or looking at yourself in the picture that also helps Okay, focus and defocus, that's important. And is the focus changing or steady? And that's less important. Framed or panoramic, movie or a picture, could be framed, might have a frame around it, which probably would be the case for a dissociated picture. Although there are some associated pictures that have frames around them, and it could also be panoramic, which is usually the case, an associated picture. But if it's panoramic an associated picture, I've also seen the way associated pictures that did have frames around them so it could be a movie or still. Now to me those are the major submodalities and those are the ones that I'm going to ask first. So you might want to draw a line right under movie or still and generally if I have the opportunity I'll skip these next few submodalities which seem to me to be less important. So is the movie Fast or slow or normal in terms of the speed? How much contrast is it? Is there a lot of contrast or is it low contrast? Is it a 3D picture? Or is it flat? What angle is it viewed from? Are you looking at it straight on? Or are you viewing it from an angle? And also the number of pictures. That's it. Is there a shift in the picture? So I generally skip those last few (coughs) sum Now when I've gone through... The visual similarities. I'll ask the client, is it black and white or colour? They say colour. Is it near or far? Is it bright or dim? What's the location? What's the size of the picture? By the time I've gone through that, I'm going to then ask, are there any sounds that are important? Are there any sounds that are important to you? And if the client says, no, we'll skip the whole auditory section. But if the client says yes, I can say, so what's the location of the sound? Where is it coming from? What's the direction that it's coming from? Is the sound internal or is it external? Is it a loud or soft sound? Is it fast or slow? Is the pitch high or low? What's the tonality, the timbre? Are there any pauses? And if there are pauses, do they have cadence? And cadence means a certain beat. And what's the duration of the sound? Or what's the uniqueness of the sound? And then if I'm done with auditory, maybe elicited those, then I'm gonna go on and ask, are there any feelings that are important? And if the client says no, I'll skip the section that says kinesthetic. But if the client says, yes, there are important feelings, you say, so what's the location? What's the size? What's the shape and what's the intention, intensity? Are they steady? Does it have movement or duration? Is there a vibration? Is there pressure or heat? And is there any weight to the kinesthetic? So, that's how we use our submodality checklist and finding out how a certain set of submodalities work. Now I think at this point it's really important for you to hear a submodality's elicitation. So. If you go to the demonstration within the modules and watch the submodality like to dislike example that's on there. That will really help you understand how that works. OK, so let's look at page 40 now. There's the submodality like to dislike script and it's what we use to change submod- submodalities from something that a person likes into something that they dislike. For example. And I mentioned earlier, you could use ice cream, as somebody likes ice cream and maybe hates yoghurt. And that's really good because the qualities of ice cream and yoghurt are quite similar. They're both vanilla, uh, they're both like vanilla ice cream and plain yoghurt, they both almost look exactly the same. But there's a difference in how the person coats them, usually inside the subodarties. So let's take a look and see on page 40. So let's take a look at the script so first of all you're going to want to get into rapport real quickly and establish the thing that they like and what they dislike now it's important that you ask the unconscious mind if it's okay to make this change today and for you to make it consciously you're going to ask the client can you think of something that you like but wish you didn't and as you wait until they get it and they say yes and you say good what is it and as you think about that do you have a picture now it's really important when you ask a client to ask that when you think about that do you have a picture when they say yes you simply elicit the submodalities the way that I suggested we then need to break state for a moment and this is like the pattern interrupt that we talked about right at the beginning a break state is a pattern interrupt so that the client who had that picture of what they liked, gets interrupted so they get a blank page. It wipes that picture on their mind and you can go to the next question. It's almost like a reset. So we often ask, do you like popcorn? Or something that gets them thinking of something else? Like, what are you having for tea? Or what's your favourite colour? Or anything that gets them thinking of something else. But making them laugh is a really good way of changing that. Of breaking that pattern. Then we can ask, can you think of something which is similar but what you absolutely dislike? For example, ice cream and yogurt. So then, if they dislike yogurt, then you elicit some analysis of that. And then at the end of that, we clear the screen again. We break state. Then we're going to do a contrastive analysis between the two lists. And this is where we compare the similarities of each picture and spot the differences as these will be the main drivers of the change that's going to be made. And the location by the way for the best results it says here, the location should be different. What that means is for the best results if you're getting um, someone to like to dislike, what that means is that the main drivers may be the location and if that's substantially different you've got a pretty good chance of success if the location is very much the same then what i'd like to suggest is that you may not have as much success so this really does depend on location to a large extent or being associated or dissociated it's not always necessary to have a different location it usually is good for the location to be quite different but what we're then going to do is to change the submodalities of number one, what you like, into number two, what you dislike. Now, let me talk for a moment about a couple of things here. And I think probably we talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want to be very clear about this. In the process of shifting from like to dislike, I want to talk for a moment since we've gone through the submodalities like to dislike script. I want to talk to you about how you use them. And I want to talk a little bit about A couple of things that are going to make the submodalities really, really, really work well. So the drivers are found by contrastive analysis. And the way that we would do a contrastive analysis is we ask about the submodalities of this certain picture. The way we do contrastive analysis is that we compare the two pictures. And when we compare the two pictures, we go for what the difference is between those two pictures. So, if we say, for example, we might take our scream or we might take yoghurt and we look for the difference that makes a difference, what is the actual difference between those two sets of submodality distinctions? What's noticeable about drivers is that when one changes, the rest of them generally, generally the rest of the submodalities generally change exactly the same. Now, if I were betting, if I were taking a bet, the most common drivers are location and association or dissociated. Uh, Those are the most common sets of drivers to make the real big difference when you're doing some work. So the first thing to making some work, the most important part of making some work, is that you really, really have to make sure that you get a hold of the drivers. What the drivers are, what are the difference in the drivers, what are the differences in those two sets of submodalities when you do the contrast. So that's actually submodalities like to dislike and it was tested and I don't know if you've watched the example by now, but what you can do about that thing that you like and how is it, what you can do at the end is ask how it was different. And an even better test is to someone to have the food or drink that you wanted to dislike and bring it to you. Now that's such a simple process, there's not a lot involved. You just need to find, you just need to be able to be precise in terms of your language. Find out the differences between the drivers and the submodalities. Now, If you'd like to try that all you need is page 37 and page 40 and you can do this with a friend you might even be able to do this with yourself as long as you're clear about what submodalities work so let's talk about NLP with yourself or not doing NLP with yourself there are some folks on the internet who say that you can't do that you have to do you can't do NLP on yourself or you're not really a good, if you don't do NLP on yourself, you're not really a good NLP person. And, and I actually don't agree with that. Quite frankly, I think some people can do things with themselves and some people can't. I think I'd like to quote Gregory, and I don't know if you remember who Gregory Bateson was, but he's one of the people who was working on ecology and was a great inspiration for NLP. And Bateson said, a man cannot long be his own psychotherapist. One of the things I think about doing NLP with yourself is that you don't have the objectivity that someone else might have about you. Since you don't have the obje- objectivity that someone else might have about you, then the fact is that you're still going to be in your own model of the world. You're still going to be inside of your own thinking. Whereas someone else can usually gain a little bit more objectively about what it is that you're working on. So. Although it's possible that you could do this with yourself, it's also possible that you might want to work with someone else. And in either case, it's kind of fun little shift. Now, with regards to shifting dislike, like, dislike to like, which often comes up as a question in training, you can, yes, you can shift uh, like dislike to like using the same issues, using the same similarities. But sometimes, sometimes the difference in the shift from like to like also involves some other ecological considerations which you might want to make sure that you take care of before doing that so what you've just seen or demonstrated here you've seen contrastive analysis which is the first part the second part is mapping across and mapping across is simply once you've done the contrasted contrastive analysis mapping across is simply taking and shifting the first set of sumodalities into the second set of submodalities, which changes the way that the person feels, or which changes the person's internal representations, that fir- the first set of internal representations that you're working on. And that's the end of talking about the, the initial module on submodalities, and we'll come back later with how to do swish patterns and some other exciting stuff.